Well, it's, uh, it's not only been a minute since I've been in the pulpit, it's been a, been a minute since we've looked at Matthew's Gospel. Let's get back there. Chapter 23. <clears throat> we are uh, moving ahead, verse by verse, text by text, trying to, trying to see the King of all, Jesus Christ in these words. And, uh, and so worship Him and follow Him in the way that we're called uh, to do that. So uh, the sermon title is Humility is Safe and Wise. And we're going to be looking at just the first 12 verses of Matthew 23. We'll, we'll move into those, those famous woe uh, verses that, uh, that follow next week, Lord willing. So I'm going to read that passage. Uh, the first 12 verses of Matthew 23, um, and then we'll pray, um, and uh, then we'll look at the text together. Friends, this is God's Word. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, speak to us through this Word. Spirit of Christ, illumine the text for us. Grant us understanding. Help us to hear clearly your voice in these words, so that you might be exalted and your people might be equipped to follow you. And it's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Have you ever had that task of trying to get somebody to hire you? You ever had to write one of those miserable cover letters to your resume to try to make the case that somebody should hire you instead of somebody else? Okay, maybe that shows my age. Have you ever responded to a job posting on an internet job board? I saw you're like, cover letter, what is he talking about? But have you ever had to do that? Have you, have you ever had to make the case that, that somebody should hire you instead of somebody else? It's a difficult needle to thread because on the one hand, you want to... You, you, you do want to convince them of that. You want to highlight some things about yourself, right? 
You want to say, hey, I've got this experience and I'm better than, than other people that you might run into because of these skills that I have. So on the one hand, you want to do that. But on the other hand, you know, you don't want to come off like a braggart. You, you, you don't want to... You don't want to come off like a like a know-it-all, like like you know that you're sort of God's gift to them to solve everything that's wrong with their company. And boy, nobody likes someone who thinks that of themselves, right? Nobody likes uh, uh, somebody who thinks they're the greatest or or, or they know everything, right? Uh, you know, years ago I used to go uh, get my hair cut. Uh, with this one guy. That's as generic as I can leave it, right? Uh, and I loved the haircut he would give me. And, you know, I stopped going to him after a, a, a certain amount of time because I just couldn't sit in a chair for 30 minutes and listen to how uh, just how successful and brilliant he was. I just couldn't stomach it anymore. And so I stopped going to him. It was it was revolting. The The, the reason... The reason it's so distasteful when somebody speaks that way about themselves, when they, when they, when they tell you how great they are, is because we know that it's not altogether true. And we've got to listen to this. We know they don't deserve the praise that they're chasing after. In the end, self-exaltation is dangerous and foolish. It might lose you a customer, but it might it, it, but it might be even more dangerous than that. In the end, humility is safe and wise. Romans reminds us of our worth apart from Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God alone deserves praise. He's the only one who deserves to be exalted. The only one that should be made much of. The only one that deserves our devotion. The only one that ought to be followed. That's God. And no one else. He alone possesses perfect wisdom and might and beauty. He should be exalted. None of us should be. That reality... That reality is at the core of Jesus' confrontation with Israel's so-called religious leaders that we see here right before us in our text. He has been, if you will recall, increasingly vocal in his run-ins with them throughout Matthew's Gospel. But in chapter 23, the gloves come off. In these first 12 verses, Jesus' words, though, are not focused on the religious leaders themselves, but rather on the people at large, which includes his own disciples. In verse 13, we will address the scribes and, and, and Pharisees directly. That is what Jesus thinks of them. But for now, verse 1 tells us that Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples. And so we've got to make sure we pick up on that. In these dozen verses we look at today, Jesus does two things. So if you want to take some notes, these are your two points. Jesus exposes the scribes and Pharisees who exalt themselves. That's verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> and he warns the people to be humble, to not do what they do. That's verses 8 through 12. 
Okay, so he exposes the, the the scribes and Pharisees who exalt themselves in the first half of the text. The second half of the text, he warns the people to be humble. Friends, that message is was as important in Matthew's day as it is in our own. I mean, are there any spiritual leaders in our day that exalt themselves? My goodness, it's everywhere, right? You can't hardly turn on the radio or the television or uh, a podcast, Matt, right? Something like that. And uh, run into one of these, you know, these self-championing uh, uh, so-called spiritual leaders. And so we, uh, we need to be made aware of these things so that we could recognize them, right? And not follow them in their worldliness. So as we examine the text, the that you might think of the Lord's teaching as two road signs, okay? So the, the first road sign in, in verses 1 through 7 might have these words, danger, falling hypocrites ahead. Now we've got to recall something about the Jewish, Jewish culture as we, as we start, right? We've got, to, we've got to think about how the Jewish culture was built and evolved, because Jesus is speaking into it, right? He's speaking to the scribes uh, about the scribes and the Pharisees who lead that culture. The Jewish culture was built around first God's law given to Moses, right? That was the that was the covenant agreement, if you will, right? That was the that was the uh, that was the tenets by which God and Israel would relate. And secondly, the Jewish culture was built around the spiritual leaders who would succeed Moses, who would instruct the people in the law, right? So, so it was built on other things, but those are two major things that the Jewish culture was built upon. Such leaders, those that would, that would teach the people, instruct the people on what the law meant and how to apply it, such people were to sit on Moses' seat. That phrase is used in our text. In this way, they would possess... God-endorsed authority, right? That's how it was supposed to be. The expectation was that the people were to have such religious instructors who taught them how to live in light of the law's innumerable and wide-ranging directives. Love the Lord your God this way and, and your neighbor too. Worship this way, but not that way. Treat the poor in this way, but, but not in that way. Eat this animal, but not that one. And on and on we might go as examples, right? The scribes and Pharisees of Matthew's day were supposed to be those kinds of instructors. They were supposed to be the people that would model how to live the law and also instruct and encourage people on what the law meant and what it meant for their lives. But Jesus kicked off this discourse with a shocking statement about them. It got everybody's attention. He said they were hypocrites and had no authority over God's people. You guys, you guys are frauds. and You have no authority. That's how he started the discourse. Look at verses 2 and the first part of 3. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you. Now I know you might be confused right now, because that sounds like he's endorsing them, right? Just sit tight for a minute. 
Moses had been a mighty prophet of God, the giver of the law, the one who led the people to God's earthly inheritance, the promised land, right? But those extraordinary historical events were just that, history. So for the scribes and Pharisees to take up the mantle of Moses, that means they saw themselves as the ones who would not only succeed him, but fulfill his ministry. In other words, they held themselves out as knowing how to interpret and apply God's law in a way that would lead men to their eternal inheritance, heaven. There's, there's, only, there's only one problem. They had no such knowledge. Though they claimed otherwise, the scribes and the Pharisees were estranged from God. They had no ability to lead God's people, no endorsement from God uh, uh, for them to speak for him. And Jesus said as much to the crowds. Now, it's hard to see in the ESV, but the New American Standard gives us a clearer understanding of verse 2. Listen to it in the New American Standard. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. You see that? That's a different tone altogether. God didn't call them to that role. They seized it. They claimed it for themselves. And so what Jesus says in verse 3, then, about following what they say, has to be heard in relation to this. Jesus said they claimed the seat of authority. They weren't given it. And as such, if Jesus is going to then say, follow and do what they say, that's really going to not make a lot of sense. Follow these people that made this power grab, right? Incidentally, it would also contradict so much of what Jesus has already said of them in Matthew's Gospel. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Uh, the, the half of chapter 5 is devoted to exposing the wrong teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. You, you remember the pattern? You have heard this, but actually this. That, that, that was over and over again in chapter 5. You've heard this, that is the, te- the wrong teaching of the scribes and Pharisees, but I'm here to tell you the real truth is this. Okay? So, so half of chapter 5 is devoted to showing how the scribes and Pharisees teaching was in error. And let's not forget the excoriating language Jesus used to describe their teaching and their way of life in chapter 15. Re- recall these verses, Matthew 15, 6 through 9. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It would make no sense at this juncture for Jesus to say, hey, do whatever they say. You see that? makes no sense. So we've got to hear the sarcasm of the Master's voice here. Jesus is clearly sarcastic when he told the crowds to do whatever the scribes and Pharisees told them to do. It was more like saying, go ahead, follow these men who are not God's appointed leaders and see where that gets you. That's more of the tone and meaning of what he said They were pretending to have God's authority, and Jesus exposed them. But they didn't only pretend to have authority. They also pretended to have transformed lives. 
They also pretended to be holy. And Jesus exposed this to be false as well. Look at verse 3, the rest of verse 3. Or, or Let's look at 3 all together. Practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. That's where that phrase, that saying uh, uh, comes from, right? Right. He, he, doesn't preach, uh, he doesn't practice what he preaches. Jesus here describes what he will plainly call the scribes and Pharisees throughout the remainder of the chapter. He describes them, he exposes them as hypocrites. If, if you allow your, your eyes to glance through the rest of the chapter, look at verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 16. Woe to you, blind guides. Uh, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you see? Seven times he calls them hypocrites. But here he's describing their hypocrisy before he calls them it, okay? So what is hypocrisy? It's it's taken from the, the, the practice of ancient actors who wore different literal masks as they played a part. The idea is that the mask they held up while they were acting was what they wanted the audience to see, the expression on the face or, 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 the, or the dark colors of the countenance or, or whatever. It would hide the actor's real identity and whatever emotions they were having at the moment and, and, and put on a fake one. They pretended to be what they were not. That's acting, right? It's, it's also hypocrisy. When, it, when it's literally done, right? It's hypocrisy when men pretend their lives are, are, are different than they actually are. And that was what Jesus exposed the religious leaders to be. Men who pretended outwardly to be holy when inwardly they, they remained spiritually lifeless. They had rejected the spiritual transformation Christ offered uh, over and over again, right? We, we've had these run-ins with the, with the spiritual leaders in Jesus, where Jesus shows himself to be the Messiah, and they won't follow him, they don't believe him, they call him a liar, and all of these things. And so, when they reject Jesus, they reject the only means to a transformed life. And that's true today, folks. If you're here today and have not yet placed your trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you, you have no hope because you are spiritually dead on the inside, no matter what religious practices you do on the outside. Don't follow this practice. Jesus is exposing this as fraudulent, right? Don't follow in that fraud. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't act like you follow Jesus when in actuality you don't. Repent of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you, and he will. That's the, that's the beauty of the gospel, the, the gospel that these religious leaders had rejected and so didn't have a transformed life. They had cold, dead hearts on the inside. Everything on the outside was for show, just like an actor. Jesus saw right through them, of course, and revealed these cold hearts. He revealed them by their actions and their motivations. First, their hypocrisy was seen in their being devoid of love. Look at verse 4 there. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves 
are not willing to move them with their finger. Boy, that's a, that's a visceral image, isn't it? Just loading somebody up, right? With huge, heavy sort of things to carry. And you have the ability to, to relieve their, their struggle, but, but just don't want to and refuse to. The scribes and Pharisees taught the people that they had to keep the law of Moses as well as all of the customs that they had come up with. This is the, this is the reality of the metaphor of those big burdens. Okay? To fulfill God's law. And if that wasn't enough, all of these extra traditions and customs is impossible for anybody to do. It was an impossible weight to carry. It was like telling someone to walk around carrying a grand piano, being played by a hippo on an aircraft carrier. Nobody can do it. It's impossible. You die under the weight of it. Keeping the law of Moses is impossible. Trying to earn God's favor by doing religious things is impossible. It was not, the, the law, incidentally, was never meant to, to be the way people became righteous and proved that they deserved heaven. That was never the, 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 the role of the law. Rather, it was designed to show men that they were sinful lawbreakers and they needed a Savior who could keep the law to rescue them. That was the purpose of the law of Moses, the main purpose of the law. Pretending to be a religious leader and telling people to work their way to heaven, to try to keep all of these laws is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy hypocrisy because that's not religious leadership. You see that? That's not a godly leader. That's someone who doesn't know the first thing about how to help people get to God, but saying that they do. It's complete hypocrisy. But the world's full of so-called spiritual leaders telling people to do more and try harder, isn't it? Give more money, have more faith, live holier lives, be a good man and you'll get into heaven. That's not spiritual leadership. Those are lies. Nobody gets reconciled to God by trying harder. These men were pretending to be of spiritual help when they were no help at all. And we face this all the time today. I shudder at the at the Christian. I'm putting for the for the audio tape. I'm putting air quotes around Christian. I shudder at the Christian books that Christians read. They're full of lies. That are full of worldly ways of thinking. They're full of those. You deserve things. You know. You know, your problems are not in you, they're around you. So say no to the people that are dragging you down. That's worldly thinking. The problem is you. Most specifically you. Your sin. That's the problem. And there's only one answer. It's not trying to fulfill some kind of religious law. It's placing your faith, your repentant faith, turning from your sin, and placing all of your hope in Jesus Christ, who has no sin and died in your place and rose again. So the the debt that you owe to God for your sin is taken care of. And the entrance to heaven is open to you because the Father sees you in your faith in Christ. 
right? But that's not the message of so many false teachers today. They pretend to have spiritual aid and have none. They love their high position. They don't love their neighbors as themselves. Such men heap impossible burdens on people only to watch them struggle and ultimately fail to find peace with God. That's if Listen, that's the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, for example. That's why there was a Reformation. Because the church was teaching men that if they would just do all of these things, God would grant them favor. And that's a lie. It leads people to hell. And anybody that that preaches that sort of message is no spiritual leader. They're a hypocrite. When you want to talk about burdens, the only offer you want is the one Jesus gives in Matthew 11.28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll take the burden. I'll not only lift my finger, I'll lay down my life for you. Real spiritual leaders bring people to the rest for their souls found in Christ's cross, where he died as a substitute to pay for our inability to keep the law. Real godly teachers lead sinners to the good news of repentant faith and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But the scribes and Pharisees' hypocrisy was called out here because they didn't do that. And, and their, their hypocrisy was also seen in how they pretended to be lawkeepers themselves. So they pretended to be spiritual leaders, right? Spiritual helpers, right? That wasn't true. They also pretended to be the kind of people that could keep the law. This is what verse 5 is all about. The, the mention of phylacteries and, and, and fringes. Phylacteries were little boxes that they wore on their arm or their forehead and inside were little pieces of paper with with Bible verses written on them and tucked in them. Bobby, you were uh, I just listened to Josh Waltz's breakout session at Fellowship in the Gospel on parenting, finally. All you guys have listened to it and I finally listened to it last night. Had no idea the connection. It's from Deuteronomy 6 that mentions put... Put the word of God like frontlets in front of your foreheads. It, it, that whole passage is meant to say, get the word of God into your children. Right? Talk about it as you walk on the way, as you lie down, as you get up. Make sure your children know the word of God. And, and, and these spiritual leaders, instead of doing that, said, well, I'm going to over-literalize that and I'm going to put these little boxes with the Word of God on me so that you'll know I'm a guy that knows the Word. Isn't that ridiculous? That's what they were doing. That's what Jesus was calling out. The fringe was also on their garments being, being made longer was also supposed to make much of themselves. <laughs> the more showy these boxes were and the fringe... The, the longer the fringe was hanging from their garment, the more they were trying to show others how pious they were. But showing other people how pious you are, that's not true holiness. That's not law-keeping. Obedience to God is not to be done before men. Jesus taught us this in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember? Remember back in chapter 5 when he taught men how to pray and how to give to the needy and how to fast? What does he say to do? Does he say to do it in front of everybody so that you get your reward? No. 
He says, if you do that, that's the only reward you get. You want an eternal reward. So do these things in, in, do these things in secret. Pray to God in secret because you, you trust in Him to meet your needs. Not because you want, you know, Karen to see how good of a prayer I am. Not like that. That, that that's not holiness. That's not, that's not following the Word of God. What's more, the scribes and Pharisees were unable to keep the law, of course, just like any man. So parading around like they could was a lie. It was hypocrisy. These outside signs did not reflect who they were inside, as I said previously, because they have rejected Jesus, the only one who can change our inside. Despite that fact, they loved to be showered with recognition and praise. Their hypocrisy was further demonstrated by their greed for undeserved honor. They wanted to be distinguished from other people by giving seats of honor in the, in the synagogues and being called titles of honor. Oh, oh, Father, oh, Master. These different titles. That, they they love that sort of recognition. That's verses 6 and 7. But we can do, but we can do such things today too, can't we? We can lust after recognition. We can, we can, we can be seen to have hearts of selfishness and greed while pretending to be concerned with spiritual things. We can. I hope you know that of yourself. Your heart's wicked like mine. And we can do these things. Let me share three quick examples with you. Two about other people, one about myself. I went on a spiritual retreat one time with several couples who all stayed in one big house with a bunch of bedrooms. One particular guy rushed to secure the largest bedroom before anyone else had a chance to pick a room. I went to a Christian conference years ago where young men were lined up at the entrance. It wasn't time to to get into the conference yet, and it was packed. Like There was just 20 people deep at every door to get in. And, and as soon as the, 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 the folks that were running the conference opened the door, all the young men just bowled past everybody else and sprinted to the front row before anybody that might be older than them, slower than them, might get a good seat. Well, I don't want to just blame any, everybody else, right? I think those are two examples of, of, of wanting you know, wanting that sort of recognition for yourself or that benefit for yourself at the expense of other people. I've done the same thing. I'm not exempt from such sinful behavior. I can think of many times, many times, where Courtney and I have made a decision for the family and I have tried to make sure it was plain that it was really my idea. I've done that in church leadership. I've done that in friendship circles many times. It's not funny, it's sinful, right? It's hypocrisy. It's trying to show that I'm great when I'm not. Okay, so we have to be very careful of this, friends. We have to examine our hearts, examine our lives, so that we see this hypocrisy in ourselves and repent of it and give God the glory rather than ourselves. This hypocrisy is what Jesus exposed in the scribes and Pharisees. That kind of leadership is no leadership. I mean, it may be worldly leadership, but it's not godly leadership. It's not befitting of the Christian church. 
So the first sign to, be re- to, to, to remind you then is danger of falling hypocrites ahead. And so we have to also be warned that men who exalt themselves will not ultimately succeed. They might look like they succeed now, but they ultimately will not. The Lord won't share his glory with another, and he won't allow hypocrites to stay on the high seats that they put themselves upon. The rest of the chapter will make this very plain. Because of that, this warning sign is for us today as well. We ought not to make such people heads of ministries, and certainly not elders of Christ's church. Christian leaders ought to have good doctrine and godly lives. They ought to be consistent. If they don't, God will bring them down, and we would be foolish to put such men in leadership of our church. How many Christian leaders we have seen fall because of moral failures and sinful bullying leadership tactics, tactics, it's rampant today. In the qualification for elder that that Paul lays out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he includes both that a man be able to teach as well as a litany of moral characteristics. He must be above reproach, self-controlled, not violent but gentle. Thus, elders are to be men who practice what they preach. That's why we don't rush elder candidates here at Union Lake. It's why we're serious about the church getting to know men before being asked to vote on them for, 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 for them to be spiritual leaders. Dan's been trained at, at both a Bible college and seminary. Why didn't we vote on him to be an elder right away? It's nearly three years ago now. Why did we wait so long? We waited so long so that we might examine his life to make sure his life was impacted and changed by the doctrine he believes. We've seen a leader with demonstrably demonstrably genuine faith in Dan. We've watched both his life and his doctrine closely, and you should avail yourself of of this as well in this Q&A. Don't don't make this like I can come to one of these Q&As. Come to all of them if you can make it. Okay, so that's the first road sign to avoid falling hypocrites, but here's another Jesus puts up for his disciples, no passing zone. What I mean by this is that Jesus here warns his people not to try to get out front like the scribes and Pharisees had done. Notice the transition at the beginning of verse 8. But you, see the change? New topic. God's people are not to seek glory for themselves. We don't try to pass everyone up so we get to be made much of. Look at verse 8 there. And also 10, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. Verse 10, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. So it's wrong to have a title? No, that's not what's being taught here. I mean, it's not that being called a title of honor is somehow sinful. I mean, I love to be called pastor. I love to be called Pastor Jeff. Now, I don't need to be called that. I don't, I don't sit and hope that people you know, sort of bestow this title on me so that I'll find some satisfaction in myself. I mean, there are days that way, to be true. But by God's grace, that's not the trajectory of my life, right? 
I don't need to be called uh, with, with, with some sort of title. My name is just Jeff or Mac or McKeeve. The office of pastor is one I hold dear, certainly. It's a great honor for me to be a leader of this, of this church, of Christ's church. But by God's grace, I don't gloat and feel superior when people call me pastor. And that's what Jesus is teaching here, I believe. It's okay to receive honor so long as it's... Are you Okay, if you've, if you've drifted, come on back. This is really important, okay? It's okay to receive honor so long as it's a reflective honor. A reflective honor. So long as it's honoring what God has given you and the gifting that He has gifted to you, so long as the glory is appropriately directed to Christ, so long as the honor that you receive is honor that's reflecting God's work in you, that's reflecting Jesus' saving grace, the Spirit's power in you, not your own. You get me? So God gets glory even when we get honor. That's the, that's the right way to approach the Christian life. So we don't seek to be the ultimate authority even on good things like how to apply the Gospel to the Christian life. I'm not the expert on that. I'm not the be-all, end-all to preaching or something like that. We work hard as we work out our Christian faith. We study the Bible. We discipline ourselves for godliness. But we do so relying on God's power or it's meaningless. That's that's why we said as much in our vision. right? We want to be wrapped in divine power as we make disciples and as we make gospel partners. If we rely on God's power, then we're not seeking to be exalted as if we're being seated on Moses' chair. We don't claim his seat. We don't act better than anyone else because we're not. We're all brothers by God's grace. Did you see that at the end of verse 8? Because you're all brothers. We're all equal in Christ. What's more, we don't idolize other people in the church either. We don't call them Father, for we only have one deserving of that intimate treasured title, and it's Christ that gets us to Him, no one else. We don't have priests today. We don't call them Father. We have one Father. That's the family that we're in, God's family. We're adopted into His family, and we only get there through adoption that comes through faith in Christ. All honor in the church comes from Christ working in and through His people. We should all be able to say, along with with Paul, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Just like my mother-in-law said to me years ago, if you see anything good in me, that's Jesus. The rest is all me. Well, that's true for everyone in the church. And realizing that guards us from trying to pass everyone and claim our own glory. Christ gets the glory. Let us be careful to heed this warning. And so we come to the end of the text, the summary, if you will, in verses 11 and 12. The summary of this teaching comes from the kingdom principle that runs throughout the gospel. Greatness in the kingdom is connected not to self-exaltation, but to the greatest service done in joy for the good of others. I'll read that one more time. Greatness in the kingdom, not in the world now, 
in Christ's kingdom. Greatness in the kingdom is connected not to self-exaltation, but to the greatest service done in joy for the good of others. And greatness will, in the end, receive kingdom reward. Hypocrites who exalt themselves will be brought low in the light of, of God's perfect judgment, while humble service will be lavished with praise and gloriously lifted up for all of eternity. That's the kingdom principle here in Jesus' teaching. This is a favorite teaching, in fact, of the Savior and a treasured promise for His disciples throughout the generations because you want to know what? Most of us are not exalted. I mean, Paul makes that case in 1 Corinthians 1, right? Not many of you are of noble birth. Not many of you are really anybody's in this world. That's really the Christian life. The Christian life is not about get yours here. The Christian life is about spending your life in service to Christ and His people. Those who think much of themselves and little of Christ will enjoy whatever accolades and authority they have seized for themselves in this world, but it will be short-lived. And for those who, who were never truly born again and do this, the depth they will be brought to will be unimaginably and frightfully low. Even the eternal grave with no honor and no glory, no reward, no joy, a place completely separated from God and every good thing that flows from Him. That is the end of those who finally place all of their trust in themselves and want to be exalted. But those who deny themselves and follow Christ, motivated by His love, what He's done for us, and the coming reward, they gladly forego earthly trophies. They happily refrain from passing others by to scoop up man's praise. We falter. All of us do, but when we find ourselves competing for acknowledgement, when we find ourselves lusting after recognition, we need to repent of that. We need to be reminded that we are the people that, that are made low, happily so, under submission to Christ. We follow Him. We follow His ministry no matter what comes in this world, no matter what it costs us, no matter how low the world brings us. Because we know we will be exalted in all of eternity. We'll sit with Christ on his throne and judge. We, we will inherit the eternal kingdom, co-heirs with Jesus, our brother, by faith. We will be exalted. And, and that's, why, that's why we happily make ourselves low in this world. Back to that resume, right? or job posting, as it were. Be careful how you present yourself. Be careful how you interact with other people, how you think about yourself with respect to other people. It can get in the way of Christian service. It can get in the way of, of enjoying the eternal life you have with Christ now. Friends, think on these things. Take a, take a moment of quiet reflection over these things. Perhaps you need to repent. Perhaps you need to re repent of, of thinking too highly of yourself, of, of not serving other people, of not seeing Christ as the one who truly deserves all of the reward.
Take a few moments.